Hello, everyone. It's okay to talk back to me. It always bugs me when people get up to speak and they do the hello, I can't hear you. Uh, but I do that all the time. It drives me nuts to know that people do it, but maybe it's a nervous tick. I, I don't know. Um, it's really good to be here. Uh, I always enjoy coming to worship with you here at Ascension. If you haven't met me, I'm Charlie. Um, and I always enjoy coming here. But the last few weeks, the last several weeks, my wife Becca and I have been worshiping with you guys via Zoom. And so uh, in lots of ways, this just feels a little bit like our new normal because we've been worshiping with you just about every week. So good to be here in person. Thanks for having me. I'm really thankful to be here. Let's pray and then we'll get started with the scripture for today. Lord God, we need you and we want you. But it's difficult to wrap our minds and our hearts around the good gifts that you want to give us. We live in a time uh, and in a place that uh, it's so easy not just to be distracted, but to get pulled away from the truth of who Jesus is. So God, we pray that right now, in this time, would you just like clear away the noise in our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. Help us to see Jesus in his glory. Lord, we trust that you'll do it through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been attending via Zoom, uh, I've really enjoyed the Ecclesiastes series that we're in. Uh, Good job, Eric. Ecclesiastes is kind of a downer of a book to just read by yourself. But every week, it's been awesome to... Look at the passages that really show us the futility and the frustration in life as it is. And then see how right there in the scriptures, um, God is using his word to prepare us uh, to receive Jesus moment by moment. To show us our need for him. When Eric invited me to come out and preach this week, I'll, I'll be back next week. Uh, we had this, he had this idea, brilliant idea, I fully agree. Uh, let's take a short break from Ecclesiastes and let's just go to one of the Gospels. We spent all this time considering our need for Jesus. Now let's just look at Jesus uh, with, with the filter off. And so today and next week, I want to show you Jesus. I want to take you to one of my favorite chapters in all of the New Testament, John t- chapter 10 what's called the Good Shepherd Discourse. And I want to show you, uh, highlight what it says about who Jesus is and what he does. Now, the Good Shepherd Discourse is very famous. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. Well, what a lot of people kind of pass over is what I want to focus on today. Here in this passage, there's really... 
two, in John chapter 10, Jesus really uses two metaphors to describe who he is. One is that he's the good shepherd, and we're going to really focus on that next week. But before that, he gives this other metaphor that's not so popular. Uh, Not that people don't, well, some people don't like it, but it's not as, uh, it's maybe not quite as memorable as Jesus as being the good shepherd, but there's power in it. There's freedom in it. And so, and the metaphor is Jesus saying that he is the door. And so today, I just want to focus on that. So if you would, look in your worship guide or in your Bible to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and we'll read this passage together. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, this man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep do not listen to them. But I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. So this passage, like everything else that we find in the Bible, makes sense in a particular context. And oftentimes when we hear Jesus' parables or his teachings expounded, we kind of just hear them on their own, cut out from the context. But this particular passage really doesn't make much profound sense when you separate it from its time and place. So I just want to spend the next, like, eight minutes framing out the time and place, the context in which Jesus said these words. So first, lots of Jesus' teachings throughout the Bible, um, he draws images from his surroundings when he's teaching. A real famous one, a real obvious one, is when Jesus said, uh, consider the lilies of the field. God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. Consider the birds. God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. When Jesus said that, it was the Sermon on the Mount. He was standing on a mountainside. And chances are there were lilies and birds all around. Or another famous one where Jesus draws from his surroundings also comes from John. It's Actually, in the next chapter, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was standing in front of his friend Lazarus's tomb and he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'd be willing to, to argue that actually everything that Jesus says here in the Bible only really makes sense when you look at his surroundings. 
the time and the place in which he said them. We can only find out what Jesus is saying to us in our time and place when we consider what he's saying in the time and place in which this was written. So this passage, sheep, sheep pen, uh, shepherds, you would think that Jesus was maybe where? Out in the country? Around a bunch of sheep? Or maybe he's in Wales? <laughs> he wasn't in Wales. And right there in Judea or Galilee? Well, when you look at the passage and you start flipping back to find out where Jesus was, you find out the chapter before he is near the pool of Siloam, which is in Jerusalem. And the chapter before that, he is in Jerusalem. And the chapter before that, he just got to Jerusalem. So Jesus is not out in the country standing by a sheep pen. He's not in Wales with a bunch of shepherds. He's in the city. He's in particularly Jerusalem. I wonder if that should change the way that we read this. Jerusalem was a special city. In fact, it's still a significant city today. It's the city of prophets, priests, and politicians. And it kind of always has been. In Jesus' day, there were uh, Jerusalem was known for its prophetic preachers, the people who came and told the people all about what the kingdom of God was like. In fact, you can call Jesus himself one of those. Jerusalem was known for its priests and the the temple complex. This is where people mediated uh, between uh, the regular folks and the people of God. Jerusalem was the place where you met holy people who connected you to God. And Jerusalem was a city of politicians. And Jesus' day was a city where King Herod, this minor regional king who thought he was a really big deal, kind of a big deal, city where Pilate was. And all throughout the Bible, Jerusalem, ever since its uh, founding as the capital by David, has been the city of rulers. So that changes the way we read this. Here's the second thing about the context. Um, Jesus gave this particular speech in the context of a confrontation. A confrontational conversation with a group called the Pharisees. Now these were one of those... Uh, maybe you could say prophetic uh, or ruling groups in Jerusalem. And oftentimes when we talk about the Pharisees, or when a, a preacher stands up and preaches about the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? They're like the bad guys in the New Testament. Well, that's kind of true, but not really. See, the Pharisees in Jesus' time were sort of like populous heroes, for anybody who was trying to follow God. They had this idea or this conviction that since 600 years before God sent the people into exile and ever since then they had been under foreign rule, the Pharisees believed that if they could only keep God's law good enough, And only lead the people in keeping God's law good enough. That God would finally pay attention to his people Israel. Liberate them from the rule of the Romans. Liberate them from this long exile they had been in for 600 years. And that idea is not so crazy. 
If you flip back in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 34, this is the chapter in the Old Testament when God was telling the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel that he's going to exile them and he's going to bring foreign rulers to come and rule over them. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God says to the people, one of the reasons I'm going to send you into exile is because your leaders, your shepherds, who I have put in charge of leading you in following me, have failed at their job. Jesus refers in Ezekiel 34, he, excuse me, God, the Father, through the prophet Ezekiel, 600 years before Jesus, told Israel that they would have to be exiled because their spiritual leaders, their shepherds, had become corrupt. So 600 years later, in the time of Jesus, this group called the Pharisees thought of themselves as the new spiritual leaders of Israel. They were Israel's new shepherds. Throughout the Bible, the people of God are over and over again used are referred to with this metaphor of that they were like sheep and that their kings like King David or their prophets like like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel and that their that their political leaders were their shepherds. They're supposed to lead them in following God's law. So here Jesus is having a confrontation with the Pharisees in the city of prophets, priests, and politicians about their leadership of the people. Did you know that? The third thing about the context of this passage that changes the way that we should hear it is that this confrontation Jesus had with the Pharisees uh, in Jerusalem happened right after a pretty public and, and, and significant miracle. Now, instead of just going back and reading all of John chapter 9, let me just summarize for you what happened in John chapter 9. Because when Jesus says... Uh, I am the door. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's also speaking to a man who had just been healed. In John chapter 9, this was maybe just a, a couple of hours before Jesus said these things. Here's the story. Jesus and his disciples are walking along in Jerusalem by this place called the Pool of Siloam. And next to the pool sits a man who's, who's blind. And, and you can tell from the text that it was sort of commonly known that he was born blind. So this man had probably been there for years and years. And chances are uh, he was totally blind. Like not low vision, uh, but like totally blind. So here's a man sitting by the pool. And Jesus is walking by with his disciples. And one of his disciples says, Rabbi, Jesus, uh, tell me about this man. A theological question. Um, Is this man here blind um, and begging because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Apparently back then, uh, people thought that if you were homeless or disabled, it was because um, you had done something wrong and it was your fault. People thought that in the first century. Nobody thinks that today, right? That's called sarcasm. (laughs) They struggle with the same things we do. You drive by a homeless camp and you think, obviously, these people chose this. Well, maybe some did, but probably not all of them. And that's kind of what Jesus says. He says, look, this guy's blindness, his, 
his begging by the side of the road, it actually is not about his sin or even his parents' sin. God in his providence put this man here so that we could all learn something about God. And then Jesus bends down in front of this blind man, does a weird thing. He spits in the dirt, makes mud, takes the mud, puts it on the man's eyes. In fact, it says in the text, he anoints the man's eyes. So maybe while he was doing it, he's, he's whispering a prayer. Maybe he's saying like, uh, a special prayer of anointing that God would maybe pour out his spirit on this man, that God would heal this man, that God would forgive his sins. And then he says to the man, he, he, the guy's still blind, but he says, go wash in the pool. And then Jesus leaves. Now, we know that the man went and washed in the pool, and when he washed the mud off of his eyes, uh, he could see. It must have been amazing for this man to have been a a reject, outcast from society, to be begging every day, to be blind his whole life. And this man walks by talking about the power of God and then touches his face. It must have been incredible. This man goes away and he washes and all of a sudden he could see and he starts running around. I could see. And the, the townspeople are saying, hey, aren't you the guy? Aren't you the guy, the blind guy by the pool? And he's saying, yeah, that's me. And the townspeople are saying, I can't believe it. This is something strange has happened. We need to go get the authorities. So they go and they get the Pharisees. And the Pharisees show up because, remember, they're they're like the shepherding authorities of the people in a way. They show up and they say, what what happened? Who is this man? Is, Is this the blind man? And he says, yeah, yeah, it's me. And they said, well, who healed you? And he says, this, somebody named Jesus. I, I don't know. I didn't see him. But his name was Jesus. The man, came, Jesus came. He, put, he touched my eyes. And he told me to go wash. And I listened to his voice. And I, and I went and did the thing. And now I could see. And they said, obviously, that didn't happen. We've heard about Jesus. That man is a sinner. Um, that man is not with us. We don't agree with him. So obviously, that's not true. The guy says, look, all I know is I was blind. And Jesus came, touched my face. I I heard his voice. I went and washed, and and now I can see. And the Pharisees, the spiritual authorities said, no, no, no. There has to be another explanation for this. Jesus is immoral. Jesus is is not who who you think he is. So, um, oh, there's your mom and dad. Mom and dad, come over here. They get the man's parents. And the man's parents come up. To where this whole scene is, the townspeople are gathering around, the Pharisees say, "Uh, is this your son? They say, yeah, that's our son. He was blind before, right? Yes, he was blind before. Well, how did he get healed? But his parents, they were afraid of the Pharisees. They were afraid of their spiritual leaders. They had heard that the rumors that the Pharisees were kicking anybody out of the synagogue that started to listen to the teachings of Jesus. So they said, oh, don't ask us. We, we don't know anything about this. We have nothing to say. Man, that guy must have felt so alone in that moment when his parents were basically just hanging him out to dry. So the Pharisees turn back to the man and they say, hey, you need to renounce Jesus. Jesus is not with us. We don't like him. He is, he is uh, immoral. He, he's a sinner. Renounce Jesus. Give glory to God for your healing. And the guy says, look, I can't renounce him. All I know is he's the one who touched me. I heard, I heard his voice. And now I can see. 
And the Pharisees say, you're out. You're out of the synagogue. Excommunicated. You're not with us. We're going to take our townspeople. We're going to take your parents. And we're closing. We're closing you out. And the man in sadness sits down. And things calm down. And then all of a sudden he hears another voice. And he looks. And there's a man standing in front of him. He kneels down in front of his face. And he, the man says to the formerly blind man, tell me, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, uh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. Man, what a powerful statement. You're looking at him. And the guy falls down on his face and starts to worship Jesus. You're the one who healed me. You're the one who touched me. You're the voice that I heard and now I am looking at your face and you are here when I have been cast out of the church. Oh, synagogue, sorry. I have been cast out and you are accepting me. He falls down and he worships. And then the Pharisees again approach Jesus and the man. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, those who are blind can see and those who think they can see, talking about the Pharisees, are blind. Man, what a powerful story. And then right there in that moment, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. They follow him. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him. They don't know the voice of strangers. The Pharisee still didn't understand Are you seeing how the context is changing this passage from maybe a way that you might have heard it before? Jesus is making profound statements to the Pharisee and to the man who had just experienced him. He's making very strong claims. He's basically saying three things. If you're a sermon note taker, here's your three points. He's basically saying three things. Number one. Not every shepherd, you know, shepherd, is legit. Not every spiritual, political, social leader is legit. Not every prophet, priest, politician is good. In the story of the man getting healed, there's tension that John, the writer here, is building about who to follow. Are we supposed to follow the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders that our whole community affirms, the people who've been around, the people who I have known my whole life, the people who walk around making sure everybody is doing the right thing? Do we follow them or do we follow this Jesus? 
And the man, because he was transformed from the inside out, chooses Jesus. But his parents choose the Pharisees. The community chooses the Pharisees. Jesus is not affirming this Pharisee's spiritual leadership here. Even though they knew their Bibles, even though they were loved by the people, even though they ran the synagogues, these were like the most Christian people around. At least if we can, you know, speaking figuratively. And Jesus is not affirming them. There's tension here. Jesus is saying not every spiritual leader, even the ones that know their Bibles, even the ones that lead the churches, not all of them are good. That should make us as church-going people a little uncomfortable. When I was in college, I, by God's grace, got a full scholarship to college uh, the first time I went, (laughs) which is a story for another sermon. But I got this scholarship to the University of Memphis. That's where I grew up, the city that I lived in the suburbs. But that was the metro area I already lived in. And my parents had saved up some money to help me pay for school. And so I got this full ride. So my parents came to me and they were like, hey, we have this idea. Uh, we, this money that we've kind of saved up, we'd like to invest it. And real estate near the university is really cheap. We just, we want to buy like a little house and you could live there and get some roommates. And after you graduate, we'll, we'll sell it. I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. So that's what we did. And uh, before the roommates came, there was a period of time where I lived there by myself. So I was like 18, living in a house all by myself near the University of Memphis. And I felt so grown up. And I knew I was smart because I got a full ride scholarship to college. Uh, but, and, and I knew I was growing up because I lived alone and I'm like, I'm like going to the grocery store, buying my own food. I'm like living by myself, mowing my own lawn. I'm a, I'm a grown up now. Well, one day I get a knock on the door and I open the door and there's three people standing there that were probably, they were a little older than me, probably mid twenties, early twenties. And they said, Hi. We're so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And and we've been going around the neighborhood selling magazines for charity. And I thought, I'm a grown-up. I'm a a live-by-myself kind of person. This is what people come to your door, and and you're the master of the house. You talk to them. And so I I went out, and I I knew not to invite them in because, uh, well, I had some common sense. But I just walked out into the front porch, and we started talking. Yeah, tell me about this charity. And it was something that, ever, that anyone would affirm, like for the children or for health, you know, some like general. I was like, oh, okay, well, tell me about the magazines. And then like, they pull out a list of magazines and it's like kind of dirty and laminated and kind of definitely had been around and looked sort of homemade. They're like, oh, we have these magazines. And I was like, well, you know, thanks for coming by. I don't, and they were like, no, 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 talk to us about it. Don't you care about charity? Yeah, I, I care about charity. Well, don't, don't you care about learning? It's like, yeah, I'm in college. I'm smart. I, yeah, I, I care. And we walked through the whole thing. And it finally it came to, so which magazines would you like to subscribe to? And I picked one, like, I don't know, like Premier Guitar Magazine or something. 
And they were like, no, 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 no. You need to subscribe to a few magazines. So I start going down and checking off the magazines. And it came out to something more than what I was comfortable with. But I was, I was the man of the house. And these were nice people. And you guys know where this is going. I end up like writing them a check for like, I don't know, over $50. And I never saw them again. Never got the magazines. Never heard from them again. It was a classic like, con, total classic. I should have seen it coming from a mile away. But they were nice to me. I like Premier Guitar Magazine. Uh, they were doing it for charity. Not every leader is legit. So that's the first thing Jesus is saying. The second thing Jesus is saying is that, uh, okay, not every leader is legit, but the, the legit ones, the true ones, the good ones, come in by way of the door. That's what Jesus is saying. Not every shepherd is good, but the good ones come in by way of the door. And this is where he gets into this metaphor with sheep and a sheep pen. And if you have your worship guide, you know, the, the kids, the, the page is just for you. Right here, you have a picture of sheep in a sheep pen. And this is, at least from everything that I've read and studied this week, this seems to be a pretty accurate picture of what a sheep pen in Jesus' time looked like. There was a brick or a, a wooden wall, stone usually, uh, that, that on three sides, and it would go up against a house or a hillside or a cave or something like that, that all the sheep would go into. And then there would be a gate. And it was not like a big gate that you see on like a horse corral. It was like a narrow gate. And shepherds at night would take their sheep and they would put them in the pen, not really to keep them from running off because they've been walking around with their sheep all day in the open country, but to protect them, to protect them from getting stolen. Sheep were part of the economy in first century Palestine. They, they didn't want somebody to come and steal their uh, their wealth uh, to protect the sheep from thieves and robbers and wolves and things like that. Well, what Jesus is saying is using the sheep pen metaphor is uh, if the sheep are in the pen and somebody comes along who wants to take one of the sheep, if they're the shepherd, they're going to come in through the gate because that's what you do. But if they try to go over the wall or they try to sneak in the back or they try some kind of weird stuff. Chances are they're not the real shepherd. They're probably a thief or a robber or some kind of stranger. And all his listeners are going, yes, Jesus, that makes complete sense. What does that have to do with this whole situation? And he says, remember, not every shepherd is true. The true ones come in by way of the door. So what Jesus is doing is he's calling out this Pharisee as a bogus magazine salesman, if you will. And he's saying the way that you know the real shepherds from the not real shepherds, the ones that are going to steal from you, the ones that want to hurt you, the ones that uh, don't have your best intentions in mind. The way that you know is you pay attention to which ones come in by way of the door. This seems super obvious, doesn't it? I remember one time a few years ago, uh, Becca and I lived in a duplex over off of Northeast 82nd in Portland. And the duplex was up on a hill 
And then down below, in like the basement, um, the basement was exposed on the front because of a hill, and it had two garages, one for each unit. And so the garage was down on the street level, and then you had to climb up to get to our front door. Well, one day I was standing out in front of the garage at our duplex, and the mailman comes by. And it was a different mailman than our regular one who usually came by every week. It was maybe a sub, a sub or something like that. And this guy comes up and he has a bunch of mail and he walks up and I said, oh, hey, I'm Charlie. I live, you know, in the one on the left. If you want, you don't have to climb the steps. I'll just take the mail. And he goes, I'm not certified to do that. (laughs) And I said, uh, you just, I live here. Just, you don't have to climb the steps. Just give me the mail. And he says, well, how do I know that you live here? How do I know that you're not somebody trying to steal mail? And I thought, I've never had this conversation with a mailman before. And, he's, and I said, I promise you, I, I live in the one on the left. And he said, you're going to have to prove it to me, or else I'm just going to go up there and put it in the mailbox. And at this point, I was irritated. And I was like, okay, watch this. And I walk up the steps. He follows me. We go all the way around. I pull out my keys. I, 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 I unlock, and I open the front door. I opened it up, and I said, now would you like to give me the mail? And he goes, I would love to do that. And hands me the mail. Well, why did he do that? He did that because he knows that if I was really the person who lived there, not a thief, not a mail robber, I would be able to go in by the door. Pretty obvious. Okay, so you got the point. Not every shepherd is a real shepherd. The real ones come in by way of the door. And here's the third thing, the kicker, that Jesus is driving home. He says this, I am the door. I am the door. It should be profound. It is profound. We should hear it not as Jesus giving some metaphor like he does all the time. We should hear it as a confrontation. Jesus is looking at this spiritual leader. Jesus is looking at this man who had just had this crazy spiritual experience. And he is saying to them, I am the door. Jesus' point here is when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to our healing, when it comes to our flourishing, when it comes to our belonging, we look to our leaders, don't we? Jesus is saying, you need to know there are only two kinds of leaders. Those who put Jesus at the center. Those who come in by the door. Christocentric shepherds. And then there's everyone else. The credibility of a spiritual leader rests in his affiliation with Jesus. rests in his coming in by way of Jesus. Think about the Pharisees for a moment. They knew their Bibles. They had the attention of the people. They knew God's law. They cared about holiness. They cared about flourishing. They led the churches. But they weren't for Jesus. They weren't with Jesus. 
And Jesus says, thief, robber, stranger. Now this is a bold claim. This is a claim that is not popular in our culture today. It's one that wasn't popular in the first century. Notice all the townspeople are gone. But it's a true claim. True shepherds come in by way of the door. Next week, Jesus is going to follow this up by explain, by shifting the metaphor, but making a similar point that he himself is the good shepherd. But before we jump to that, I just want to take time to think about, we've thought about how the blind, formerly blind man and the Pharisee would have heard Jesus. Man, the Pharisee would have been ticked. And that formerly blind man would have known that it was okay that he got kicked out of the synagogue because the one who matters has given him his approval and his touch and his life. And I, want to, I just want to take a moment as we close to think about how this affects us today. Folks, like the man that was born blind, every single person here has spiritual debilitating disability. It says in Isaiah that God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, any who seek God. But every single person uh, together has become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Like the passage from earlier, God looks down and everyone's heart is bent toward evil continually. We are unable to flourish on our own. We might do good for a while, but life's ultimate questions, we still are waiting for them to be answered. And there are so many voices in our culture trying to, under, trying to answer our ultimate questions. This formerly blind man really had two choices of who he was going to listen to. Either he was going to listen to Jesus or he was going to listen to the Pharisees. Those were the two leaders that were there. And today, we have so many options. We have people that we know. We have teachers. We have friends and neighbors and friends. We have people that we don't know, but we listen to. We have TV and podcasts and YouTube and TED Talks. Uh, We have politicians. We have um, uh, news stations telling us all different things and we have to choose on a daily basis who we're going to listen to and it could be overwhelming. But remember Jesus' words. There's only two kinds of shepherds. Those who come in by way of the door and everyone else. This man was rejected by his community. This man was rejected by his church. But he was touched and healed and accepted by Jesus. So let me ask you, who are your shepherds? Who are your guides? For you, where do you get your ideas about what flourishing is? Where do you get your spiritual knowledge? Where do you get your teaching? Where do you get your confidence? Where are you looking to for your healing? 
There's only two kinds of shepherds. Uh, theologian N.T. Wright, I came across this quote. I'll read it to you and then we'll pray. I love this. Here's the, here's the point. He says this. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And then go on looking until you're not just a spectator. You're actually part of the drama that has him as the central character. He is the door. Let's pray.